the central moment of our gathering is looking at and hearing from God's word and then responding to him. And we're doing that from the New Testament book of First Thessalonians in a series we are calling Fully Alive, seeking to explore how it is that the gospel brings life and renewal personally, relationally, and culturally. And this morning we come to an incredibly important topic, and that is the topic of truth and love. To do so, we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So let me read the text. Let's pray together once more and invite the Spirit of God to speak. The words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is God's word. Let's pray together once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true and your love is great. And I pray this morning that we would both understand and experience your truth and your love for us today. And that by way of response, we would become a community that speaks the truth and shows love to one another and to all those around us. Where we need encouragement, God, would you encourage us? Where we need conviction, would you convict us? And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that this morning, whether they're in this room outside or online, that they would come to understand who you are, what you've done for them, 
that, that they would put their trust in you today. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, my elementary school science teachers would be sad to know that the only information I retained was whatever info could be used in a sermon. Salt is, of course, composed of two chemicals, I remember, sodium and chloride. Either of these, by themselves, in large measure, would be toxic, but together, They form one of the essentials for life, without which we would die. I remember this because it seems incredible to me that two chemicals, harmful when separated, are together essential for life. And friends, it is the same for the themes that we find in chapter 2 of Paul's letter 2,000 years ago to the Thessalonian church. Truth and love. In this passage, we find a commitment to both. A commitment to God and to people. A commitment to courage. A commitment to compassion, truth, and love. And I believe it is this combination that's one of the reasons that makes Christianity so utterly unique. It's also what makes it absolutely powerful because it is a combination of truth and love that will change your life. And it will also change the lives of others. But there's also a warning that when separated can be destructive. In fact, if we're honest this morning, some of the pain that we have either experienced or caused within the church or perhaps in our relationships, is because truth and love have not been held together. Maybe some of you who are Christians, you've been carrying wounds with you because your church experience may be marked by some kind of affection and affirmation, but nobody ever shared or told you the truth. Or on the other hand, maybe the truth was spoken, but it was harsh and uncaring. Some of you this morning might not yet be Christians. And maybe that's your experience of the church. It's one or the other. And perhaps that's why you've kept the church and Christianity kind of at arm's length. Maybe the church hasn't demonstrated truth and love rightly. But whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether we've these bad experiences vary among us, friends. The answer is not to throw out the Bible or disregard the gospel, but rather pay more attention to what Scripture has to say about truth and love. Because what we have here in this section of Paul's letter to this new church at the time in this metropolitan city in ancient Greece provides a model for us, a lesson in truth and love. And so from this passage, I would like to give three reasons why truth and love must not be separated. And I also want us to think about what happens when we keep them together. And so the first reason why truth and love must not be separated is this. Love 
without truth is hypocrisy. When you look at the hardship and difficulties that seemed to plague the Apostle Paul, who was a senior leader in the early church, a church planter, when you look at the difficulties that seemed to plague him, especially at the end of his time with these men and women from the city of Thessalonica, it would be very easy to conclude that his ministry was a failure. But their conversion, their transformation as a result of him sharing the good news with these people was an evidence of success. And so he begins this portion of the letter by affirming this fact. Look at verses 1 through the beginning of verse 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. The backstory, friends, here is helpful. Paul had spent several months with these men and women. Their lives were changed because of it. But his time with them was cut short. There were enemies of the Christian faith, enemies of the gospel, who did not want the Christian message to be shared, and so they drove the apostle Paul out of town. And Paul's enemies took advantage of his absence to create rumors. Oh, he left quickly because he didn't care, the Apostle Paul. Oh, he left quickly because he's a coward and he didn't want to be honest with you. But Paul says, far from it. And the evidence is the end of verse 2. But with the help of God, he says... We dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Despite the obstacles, despite the difficulties and circumstances, in a situation in which it might be easier to hold back the truth, Paul was right to speak. In fact, he goes on to say, to not speak the truth would be hypocrisy. He says in verse 3, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. What's he saying there? He's saying that if I did not speak the truth, then it would be out of error, impure motives, or even deception. Friends, this point is massive. Because oftentimes, in the name of love, we leave out the truth. We live in a cultural moment in which one of our highest values is affirmation. So valued is affirmation that we are encouraged to affirm another even at the expense of the truth. Don't tell someone they're doing something wrong. Don't critique them. Do not correct them. Only affirm them because it might hinder their, their psychological well-being. So don't tell the truth if it needs to be told. Simply just affirm them. And of course, the same can happen in the church. In the name of love, 
we often leave out the truth. Sometimes in championing love, we might have compassion, but we show no courage. There are so many real life examples for every one of us where this is absolutely vital. Perhaps this morning you have a friend and you know right now they are engaging in destructive, what the Bible would call even sinful behavior. You know it's wrong. You see it. You're aware of it. But for whatever reason, you decide not to share it. Why? Well, of course, depending on our personality, our experience, there could be a variety of reasons. Some of us, maybe we fear a negative reaction from the person. Oh, I don't want to deal with their, like, backlash I don't want them to think less of me, so I'm simply going to, you know, avoid telling them the truth. Maybe you fear being corrected yourself. Well, if I start correcting them, they're going to correct me, and I certainly don't want that. Or maybe we just want like a big affirmation circle, which is very common amongst friend groups, even family. Like, hey, you just want so badly to be affirmed that you just affirm the other person in hope that they will then respond with affirmation to you. Like, oh, no, you're amazing. You're fine. They're like, no, stop. You're amazing. Like, no, no, no. You're amazing. We're amazing. It's fine. Everything's fine. There's nothing wrong here. We're amazing and great and good. And We don't need to say what we really think. We don't need to address what might actually be wrong. Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, maybe you've even said, oh, well, I just love them too much to tell them the truth. Oh, you know, they're doing something wrong, but I just, I just love them too much. I don't want to say something that might, you know, make them feel bad. But friends, the truth is, we don't love them too much if we're holding back the truth. We love ourselves too much. We fear how they might respond or their lack of respond responding well keeps us from sharing the truth with them. But here's the irony about that. When we are not truthful, then the power of when we do affirm someone is actually lost. Now, I'm privileged to have three daughters. They're all fairly strong-willed, to use a phrase. They're also experts in being real. From the earliest age, I remember, especially my oldest daughter, she'd create all this artwork and she'd be like, Dad, what do you think? I'm like, oh, it's great. She's like, no, Dad, tell me the truth. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. No, Dad, no, just stop it. Just tell me, what do you really think? I'm like, okay, I don't know. The shading could use a little bit more there. I don't know, like you could work on your lines, but I think it's great. Because my oldest daughter knew that, like, she wanted the truth because otherwise, if I just said, oh, yeah, it's amazing, and, you know, you take that picture, which might be terrible, and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'll put it on the fridge, and you put it in the drawer. I mean, I've never done that. No parent does that. She wanted the truth. Otherwise, without the truth, even my affirmation loses its power. See, many of us want to, to show compassion. Many of us want to affirm, which in itself is not bad. But when we fail to speak what is true and what is right, or perhaps even correct what is wrong or address a real need, we're not actually, in fact, loving them. Paul says 
in this paragraph, we dared to preach the gospel. The message that you need, the message we need, though it might be hugely unpopular. Church, this is true for us as a community. It's also true for us as individuals. As a church, we need to be a church that is courageous, a church that is willing to speak the truth about sin, about the condition of man, about our deepest and truest needs, regardless of how we will be viewed as a result. Otherwise, we play the role of a hypocrite. Paul even uses the imagery of a mask. We didn't have a a mask on as if we just wanted something from you. So how is it that we can avoid hypocrisy and find the courage to speak the truth? Well, the answer is a God-approved heart. Look at verse 4. It says, this is where all this comes from. We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. The key words there are approved at the beginning and test towards the end. They're key words and they're also fascinating because in the original language, the Greek language, these two words that we render as approved and test are actually identical in the Greek language. The difference is found in the tense. Approved is past tense, and the same word in the Greek rendered test is used in the present tense. Now, what does that mean? When Paul says, those approved by God, he's referring to God's initiating grace, which is what qualified him to be a minister. He's aware of that. And then test is used in the present tense, denoting an ongoing sense of responsibility. Here's what that means. Paul knows that the whole reason he's a Christian is the grace of God. He's been accepted by God. He's been forgiven by God. He has been approved by God. Past tense. I'm a part of God's kingdom. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are adopted by God. You belong to him. You have been approved by God. But in an ongoing sense, God also tests our hearts. And that sharing the truth is an ongoing responsibility, a gift that Paul sought to be faithful with. In fact, he even uses that word, entrusted. He saw himself as a steward. My utmost responsibility in any conversation or any situation is towards God. He's the one, after all, who tests my heart. God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows the reason for the things that we do say, but he also knows the reasons behind why we don't say certain things. Now, on the one hand, this is sobering. Paul's aware, God tests my heart. God tests your heart. He knows our motives. He knows what's going on in there. He knows the logic. He knows the reasoning. It's a sobering reality. He sees everything. But it's also encouraging 
Because this keeps us from manipulating. This keeps us from wearing the mask. It is also liberating. Because if I know that God is the one who sees my heart, but ultimately I'm accountable to him, then what happens is it begins to liberate you from the power of other people's opinions. And who doesn't want to be liberated from the power of other people's opinions? In fact, I love the way that John Stott, one of my heroes of the faith, may he rest in peace and rise in glory, a balanced Brit from London, said this, to be accountable to God is to be delivered from the tyranny of human criticism. See, Paul's saying, I can speak the truth because at the end of the day, I know that God is the one that I am accountable to. God is the one who knows my heart. God is the one who tests my heart. And that keeps me honest. That keeps me from, you know, wearing the mask or trying to trick or deceive someone or withholding important truth that they might need to hear because I'm aware that God knows my heart. It frees us from the power of other people's opinions. He goes on to talk about the way in which this works out in his life. Verse five and six, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. No flattery. He wasn't trying to gain influence for selfish ends, which is what we often do. There's no greed there, which is this inordinate appetite for other people's compliments or maybe even for their possessions. He says no praise or glory. We weren't doing this so that we would be viewed in a certain way by you. Paul is reflecting what is true for anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Christ. We do not need any longer to seek the praise of people or fear their disapproval because in Christ we have the only approval that matters. That is the approval of God. Through Jesus Christ, you are approved by God. And so friends, what this means in every conversation and situation, we must be asking, God, what is pleasing to you? What would be pleasing to you in this circumstance, in this situation? And as it just so happens, what is pleasing to God is actually what is best for others. So every one of us, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have a responsibility to share the truth. God entrusts us with the truth, and we are to be faithful with the truth. Now, some of you get really excited about this part. You're like, well, I actually pride myself in being a truth teller. Have you seen my Facebook page? It's all I do is I fill the internet with truth. I find opportunities in the church to tell others the truth. When I see a sin, I correct it at record time. When I see any faults, I expose it immediately because I am a truth teller. Now, while on the one hand, we acknowledge the need to tell the truth, on the other hand, we also must acknowledge that your approach, 
Your attitude, your actions, your tone, your timing can actually work against the truth. The way in which you live, the manner in which you deliver it can actually work against the truth. And that is why Francis Schaeffer, who was a great Christian thinker of the last century, said this. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. You may have right doctrine. You may know the truth and maybe you seek to and endeavor to share the truth with other people and maybe even be courageous enough and dare to speak what is said. But you also need love. Love without truth is actually hypocrisy. The most loving thing you can do is actually to share the truth. But the second point is also important for us, friends, because truth without love, it's cruelty. Truth without love is cruelty. Your behavior toward other people when telling the truth has the power to either reflect the truth or contradict the truth. Paul the Apostle knew this power. And so notice, in the first paragraph, after laying out in the previous verses his motives and these impure motives that he avoided and how he dared to speak the truth of the gospel to them, he then goes on to remind them and describe the behavior he embraced when he was with them. In short, he not only told them the truth, he showed them love. Because truth without love becomes harsh and judgmental. Because here's the truth. You can have great theology. You can memorize ancient creeds and, and catechisms and still be a total jerk. You can know all this truth. You can actually recite verses to other people that need to hear them, but if your life actually contradicts the very truth that you are speaking, then we're not actually reflecting the God who we're speaking on behalf of. You can have great theology and yet devalue people. You can have right beliefs and insult others and belittle them. Perhaps this is one of many reasons why some friends and family members hold the church at arm's length. But we would do well to remember that even Jesus, some of his most critical words were reserved for the religious leaders of his day who claimed to speak the truth, but did not reflect the love of God. Well, it's been said that people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And indeed, Paul cared. Look at what he says and the metaphors he uses in verse 7. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. In this section, he goes on to use all these familiar and familial metaphors that describe how a family relates to one another. And I think this is very important because the way in which we learn about our need for truth and love is not the way in which like a doctor learns about your needs by just, you know, you make an appointment and you tell them, oh yeah, here's the truth I need to hear, here's the love I need to hear in some kind of removed, distant manner. But you learn it in a family where you have real life experiences here. 
where truth and love are actually put to the test because we all know one another in a family. And so he uses the example of a nursing mother, which I find to be profound. Gentle and caring are the words that he uses to describe this work, which I suppose has to do with both intelligence and intention. You need to know what the child needs and then seek to provide it. A nursing mother, what does a nursing mother do? Gives without the expectation of anything in return, right? It is a sacrifice. It's not just affection. It is a sacrifice, right? That's children, and I mean, any parent in the room could say, if anything marks parenting, it's the word sacrifice. Some of you are like, I know it well. My old friend, sacrifice. (laughs) Because in the early days, you don't get anything back. The little children, they're not like, good job, mom. (laughs) Thanks for feeding me. I've I've already got shaking heads. Some of you are like, my kid's 15. They still haven't said thank you. (laughs) You're like, I put food on your table. Where's the thanks? He says, like a nursing mother, he uses that metaphor for a reason. He said, regardless of what we give, The ways in which we sacrifice, we're not expecting anything in return. It is for your good, and that is why we offer it to you. Paul is saying, dizzied with weariness, like a a parent, like a nursing mother, they are patient, and as exhausted as they are, they give. And that's often what is required when we show love to others. There is a sacrificial giving of yourself for the good of the other person. In short, Paul is saying, I don't want something from you, I want something for you. Like a parent would go beyond the minimal obligations, Paul said we gave even our own life. Look at verse eight. He said, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. It's a profound verse because Paul is saying for the sake of the gospel we chose to give ourselves away and in this verse I find a beautiful summary of truth and love together he said we preached the gospel of God and we also gave of our own lives I say this to those of you who perhaps find it easier to share the truth it is good and right for you to do so But your hearers, the people that are hearing this truth, can they also look at your life and say, wow, this person sacrifices themselves for me. So that I know that when they're telling me the truth, they want what is best and what is good for me. Because that's what love is. It involves sacrifice. He describes it in verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Church, the manner in which we are to live amongst one another is absolutely vital. And in an age, I think this is particularly true, where it's so easy to just post something on, you know, social media, like I'm just putting the truth out there. There's nothing, 
you know, wrong with that per se, but we also need to, and the New Testament implies that as we share the gospel, we also share our lives. We not only proclaim the truth, we also demonstrate the truth. We set an example, we model it, we give of ourselves for the other, and in doing so, we reflect the very character and nature of God who is love. The very nature and character of God who has made the sacrifice. So the manner in which we are to live amongst one another is not like the domination of a business manager or the manipulation of a greedy salesperson, but the gentleness of a parent. So for those of us who find that maybe we struggle to care for those that we're speaking the truth to, maybe there's some immature people in the church right now and you're very well aware of them. I'm like, oh yeah, I have them on a list. Just scheduling time for me to speak truth to them. What would it also be like for you to show love towards them? Well, this is very practical. Like a parent would a child. Here's three ways in which we can do that. For those who are new Christians, you can take delight in their early steps. Just like you would with a child. You don't, like, you don't say to a six-month-old, like, why aren't you walking yet? Like, oh, I'm just kind of crawling, just kind of getting mobile. Like, why are you walking yet? No, you, you rejoice and you take delight in the early steps, understanding they've got a ways to go. And you're even ready to catch them if they fall. You're showing love like, hey, they're struggling, but I want to be there in their struggle. It's one thing to confront someone on sin. It's another thing for you to offer your help. If we need to correct someone, and the gospel calls us to do that, may we also be willing to help them. We take delight in their early steps. We use language they can understand. You don't berate your six-month-old for not knowing large words. You meet them where they're at. And thirdly, like a parent, we take delight in their progress and their growth. These are ways in which we can show love, ways in which compassion fuels the courage we have to tell the truth. It's essentially what parents do. And it is no surprise that Paul uses these metaphors to describe truth and love. Because without love, at best, we are unhelpful, but at worst, we are cruel. We need both. And holding both together at the same time is a sign of our growth. Love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth without love is cruelty. But as Paul shows here, lastly, truth and love together is maturity. And maturity in the Bible is always about reflecting God. And Paul underlines the importance of this when he reminds the Thessalonians of his behavior, how it was a model for them, and it is a model for us. Verses 10 to 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Friends, aren't you struck by how aware Paul is of the manner in which he lived amongst them? He could have just rolled into town and said, what? I preached the gospel, I'm out. 
I don't care how I lived amongst you. You heard it. I told you the truth. I deposited it, and I'm gone. But notice how much attention, notice how much detail Paul gives to addressing his lifestyle, his manner, because he knew he was a representative of God. And so there are these three words he uses to describe, which are both convicting and encouraging. Holy, righteous, and blameless. I don't know about you, but when I read that sentence and I, I continued to read it, I'm a little taken aback by it. Paul says, hey, you know how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. I mean, can any of us say that? Like, you know, your community group, hey guys, it was so good to be with you last week. You know how holy, righteous, and blameless I was amongst you. <laughs> it's usually not the first message that we send to our friends. So what does it mean? Well, when we understand them, it begins to make sense. Holy is to be set apart in our relationship with God. Paul says, I lived a life amongst you where it was very clear what I was living for, who I was living for. This is possible for any of us. Righteous denotes our dealings with one another. We wanted to treat one another rightly. But I suppose the most convicting word there is blameless. Ooh, what does that mean? I think some clarification here is necessary because when we hear Paul say, I was blameless among you, we think, wait a minute, how can I possibly live up to this standard? Well, some understanding is helpful. Blameless does not mean sinless. Remember that. When Paul uses the word blameless, he does not mean sinless. So what does he mean? He means that there is not an outstanding charge of offense against him. He doesn't have an ongoing track record that he has never addressed. So it's not if you fail, it's when we make mistakes, we then seek to correct that. We repent of that sin or that mistake. And in so dealing with it, we are then blameless. It means we don't have an outstanding bill or an outstanding charge. Blameless is not sinless. It just means when we fall, we are quick to deal with our sin, quick to confess it. Maybe some of us need to do that today. But the good news is in doing so, God, I've sinned against you, but I confess it. I receive your forgiveness. And you can walk like Paul does in blamelessness. It does not mean sinlessness. It means being very quick to deal with whatever it is that God is convicting in our own lives. I say that because good character is not determined by the absence of mistakes. Good character is determined by how we respond to our mistakes. Otherwise, all of us would be doomed. See, these lessons are passed down much like they are, you know, in the home. They're both taught and caught. Paul both illustrated this with his words, but he also exemplified it in his life. And the example becomes important for us as he ends there by saying, I want you to live a life that reflects God. That's what it means to live a life worthy of God. He's pointing us to the ultimate goal. Our, our aim in being a community of truth and love is to reflect God, to live free and fully in the presence of God and with each other. And that can only happen where truth and love exist together in perfect harmony. And as we show that and demonstrate it, we walk worthy of the gospel. And that should be our concern. God, am I walking worthy of this call? 
But even as I say that, many of us say, well, where do you get the power for this? Like, man, I've, I've, I say the truth, but I haven't been showing love and compassion. Or maybe you say, oh, I'm so compassionate, but I haven't been telling the truth in this area. All of us have areas that God wants to address in our lives, but where do we find the power for this? Well, the good news, friends, is actually hinted at in the very end of this paragraph, where we are reminded that the Christian life, before it is about reflecting God, it's about receiving from God. And that's why he ends with this sentence, live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He calls you. There is nothing that God calls you to do that he does not also empower you for. He calls you to live this worthy life. He also empowers you to live this worthy life. You need to show truth and love. You find that by receiving truth and love from him. He is the source of truth. He is the source of love. For in God, we see truth and love together. The truth of his perfection and holiness reveals our own sinfulness and brokenness. And that's actually good news because God says, I'm not gonna hide this from you. I'm not gonna pretend that it doesn't matter or just give you a little wink, you know, when you're sinning or just kind of sweep it under the rug. He says, I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't want you to live in an illusion. I don't want you to live a lie that will lead to destruction because God loves us. He tells the truth to us and about us. God is and will always be radically truthful with you. And yet, he is also absolutely and sacrificially committed to your good. Radically truthful, radically loving. And we see this, friends, in the gospel. Because more than Paul ever could, Jesus came to us and not only shared his life, He sacrificed his life for us on the cross. And the cross reveals both the reality of our sin, but also the good news that he paid for our sin. As it's been said, our sin was so bad that he had to die, but his love was so great that he was glad to die. Truth and love, we see it at the cross. Your sin deserves death, but Jesus says, I love you so much that I'm gonna take that death, that everlasting punishment that you deserve. I'm gonna take it in your place, on the cross. And it's because of that that you and I are not destroyed by the truth, but rather we are shaped and matured and grown by the truth because of God's love for us. For in Jesus, we see truth and love. That's why the Apostle John describes Jesus like this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Friends, I believe the spirit wants to bring together what may be split apart in our lives, maybe even in our church at times. Maybe some of you have not been speaking the truth or recognizing the truth about your own life. Or maybe there's been an unwillingness to share it with others, saying what needs to be said, maybe even a correction. Well, God says to you this morning, remember, I see you, and I know your heart. 
And I don't want you to live a lie. I don't want others to live a lie. I want you to be a person of integrity. And I'm going to give you the power for it. I'm entrusting you with the truth. If that's you today, confess that to the Lord. Use this time to confess. Maybe some of you have been telling the truth, but you haven't been showing love. And the Holy Spirit might say to you today, the harshness, the unwillingness to help and to bless and to give and to sacrifice, it's toxic for you and for others. And it does not reflect what I have done for you. And I'm going to remind you of that by drawing your attention today to the cross. When we stand at the foot of the cross, we realize it's God's truth and his love that changes us. God says, I see your sin, but I forgive you. I see your sin, but I've paid for it. Friends, you and I can start fresh and new today by receiving his grace because we don't create this power to bring truth and love together. We receive it. Jesus says to you and I, I see you. I know everything about you, even the hidden things. And yet, I love you, and I will always forgive you. It's this deep experience of his grace that will enable you to show truth and love together because Jesus Christ shows truth and love to you. Let's receive it right now as we pray. Father, I ask right now for your Holy Spirit to move and to do whatever work is necessary in our hearts. I pray for those of us who need encouragement. I pray that you would encourage us right now, Lord. Pray where we lack courage that you would give it. And I pray for those of us who lack compassion, Lord, that you would produce that in us. And I pray that it would come by knowing that it is your truth and your grace that we see at the cross. You are full of grace, full of truth. And I pray that you would overwhelm us in the most beautiful way possible. This morning as we respond to you and you show us the truth and draw us in with your love. God, I pray that we would respond to you right now and be changed, that we wouldn't move too quickly past this moment. And if there's anyone here that does not yet know you, I pray that today they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and experience your forgiveness of all their sins. Experience your love. Pray that that would happen even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I invite us in this moment to not resist what it is that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart. Communion is here, it's available at the front. And I invite you to come forward to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for you. Remembering, eating the bread, drinking the cup, remembering that Jesus says, I see you and I love you. I know your sin, but I've paid for your sin truth and love. Experience it anew and afresh. I invite you to come forward and come to the carpets and express biblical postures of worship. We can lift our hands. We can kneel. We can just say, Lord, I love you because you first loved me. 
It's your love that's gonna help me to be a person of truth and love in the lives of the people around me. So I invite you to press in in this moment. There's men and women to my left and to my right against the, the walls here with the prayer lanyards. I invite you to come and pray. Maybe there's situations where you need wisdom. Ask the Spirit for wisdom. Come and ask for prayer. Maybe you need healing. Just sense that some of you in this room need healing. Maybe you need guidance. You need courage. You need compassion. Whatever need you have, don't leave here today without bringing it to Him in prayer. And as we respond in song, let's delight in Him, our God of truth and love, who sees us, knows us, and loves us. Let's respond to Him now.